0: Ninjas calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime
1: Ninja Radio. Today, Lime Ninja Radio.
2: Now, there's another little interesting gene called ACAT, stands for acetyl CoA transferase, and it again takes those carbohydrates and proteins and turns them into acetyl CoA. Well, guess what we found in our Lime study? Those with chronic Lime had significantly more genetic variants in the Acat genes.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns, that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist McKay Rippy, and this is episode number 185 with our good friend and genetic nutrition expert Bob Miller. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora.
0: Hello, and in this episode, you'll learn Bob's new insights into mast cells with the Phase Four Lyme study, why regulating mTOR might be the missing link in your Lyme treatment, and which genetic Patterns keep showing up in Lyme patients.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And a special note we would like to acknowledge that you won't be here the next two weeks, but it's for a good reason. I will not. (laughs) Aurora's traveling to the Far East, Korea and Japan, to meet up with her sister and a friend there. Yes. Because everybody should travel.
0: Well, I'm going to be on the plane for two days, so.
1: (laughs) Well, that part, I'm not so excited about.
0: Not so much, but the rest of it will be awesome, so.
1: And speaking of international, as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. And each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week, we had listeners from Cambodia to Canada and from Australia to Austria. Also, a big thank you to you longtime Lyme Ninjas. Aurora and I really appreciate you listening. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lyme Ninja Radio. We're glad you tuned in. And speaking of tuning in, this week's top 10 tune-in cities are...
0: Starting at number 10, manliest New York.
1: Number 9, Brisbane, Australia.
0: Number 8, New
1: York, New York. Number 7, Leverkusen, Germany.
0: Number 6, Cincinnati, Ohio.
1: Number 5, Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Number 4, Midland, Texas.
1: Number 3, Monson, Massachusetts.
0: Number 2, Atlanta,
1: Georgia. And number 1 this week, San Antonio, Texas. If you like what we're doing, make sure and head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really love what we're doing, consider becoming a Lime Ninja patron. Just head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the Patreon link under the How Can We Help You section. Okay, Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this week's guest and our very good friend, Bob Miller.
0: Bob Miller served as a naturopath for 20 years and earned his naturopathic degree from Trinity School of Natural Health. In 2015, Bob Miller was inspired to start examining chronic Lyme disease, and he founded Nutrogenetic Research Institute to research and publish reports on the relationship between genetic variants, labs, and presenting symptoms. In 2016, he won an award at the European ILADS conference for his research into the genetic variants in those with Lyme disease.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with nutrition expert Bob Miller. Hello, Bob. It's McKay Rippey from Lyme Ninja Radio. Good to be with you again, my friend. Always a pleasure. It always is a pleasure, and we have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot to catch up on, and some of it on the business side of things, and we'll hold off on that till the end. But you wanted, and I wanted to touch base on mast cell activation or mm-hmm. overexpression, and you and I are seeing this a lot clinically, and it seems to show up on the, some of these chronic Lyme people. Just at some point, the inflammation gets stuck in this very active cycle. And these mast cells get recruited and overactivated, and it's hard to shut off. And you see some of the patterns genetically that's maybe leading up to this. So let's, if you can, take us through kind of what you've seen as you've done the various studies with Lyme disease and the genetic variants, and to where we are today with our understanding. That would be great. Sure. Well, let's
2: start from the very beginning, and that is that uh, in early 2016, I started seeing a lot of people with chronic Lyme. And uh, as, as you know, I, I just do the 20 I, back then I did the 23and me uh, genetic test, and I started noticing that a lot of the people I was seeing over and over had genetic issues uh, with a gene called HFE that would cause them to potentially absorb a little more iron. Now, as we all know, iron is critical for red blood cells and many other functions. There's people dying across the world with lack of iron. But here in America and other countries that are industrialized, if you've got this genetic issue and foods that are enriched in iron, you can actually have too much. And when we've got too much iron, it can be one nasty hydroxyl radical uh, because it combines with hydrogen peroxide. And there's whole genetic patterns that can lead to that, but it leads to inflammation. And by the way, we have I think this is podcast number three, maybe, uh four? I think it's the fourth. Fourth one and uh, some of our earlier ones for somebody who wants to really understand, you know, go back and listen to those where we go into a whole lot more detail. But I'm just giving, you know, the the quick snapshot here that if you have dysregulation of your iron, you make inflammation. And that's what we actually won an award for in Helsinki, Finland, uh, when I presented it at the iLads conference. Then later that year in November, we presented in in, uh, Philadelphia. Where we show that there is some dysregulation of some of the things related to neurotransmitters that could relate to higher levels of glutamate. And again, we cover that in other podcasts, but the the quick overview is that glutamate is a neurotransmitter that makes you intelligent, highly motivated, go-getter kind of person. It also has to turn into something called GABA. GABA is your relax, you know, chill out, sleep well neurotransmitter. We found there was genetic issues along with epigenetic factors that would cause less than optimal glutamate to GABA conversion or actually more glutamate. That can not only make you anxious, but it will make you, again, more inflamed. So in our first study, we saw there was was genetic patterns that can make you more inflamed. Now, everyone knows that we need antioxidants. So iron and glutamate and other free radicals need to be neutralized by antioxidants, by things like superoxide disputase, glutathione, catalase. And there's an interesting process that controls that called Nrf2, a nuclear transaction factor. And Nrf2 is responsible for making, recycling, and utilizing our glutathione. It's also responsible For making something called NADPH, that is the active ingredient that recycles your glutathione. It also regulates the genes that sequester iron and also that clear excess hydrogen peroxide. And that hydrogen peroxide combines with the iron in what's called the Fenton reaction to make those hydroxyl radicals. Now, that's a boatload of biochemistry and that might be hard to to follow, so let me just make it very simple. We found in studies one and two, there's excess free radicals. Then in study number three, we found that there's less than optimal antioxidants. So if you are making more free radicals and have less antioxidants, well, the net result of that, of course, is going to be you're inflamed and toxic. It's going to be hard to clear out heavy metals and other debris. So I got to admit, when I presented this in in Paris, uh, May of uh, 2017, I thought, aha, this is, uh, this is really cool. But I noticed there was this little gene called mTOR, which stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. And I got admit, I said to my staff, so what the heck is mTOR? And became absolutely fascinated. In simple terms, mTOR is what takes your fats, your proteins, your carbohydrates, and helps you make new cells. In some sense, it's the construction crew. And if we didn't have mTOR, the sperm and the egg would never become the baby, the baby would never become the adult, and even as adults, we wouldn't make the new cells we need. You know, bodybuilders are very aware of mTOR, and they try to do all they can to support it so they can build muscle. mTOR builds you up. Extremely important. But just as important is something called autophagy. that's spelled A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. Autophagy is the cleaning. It's the cleanup crew. It's kind of like the janitors. And interestingly, when the construction crew is out working, it tells the janitors, sorry, we're busy. You can't do
1: your job right. So they don't work simultaneously.
2: No. When mTOR is active, autophagy takes a break. And when autophagy comes out, mTOR takes a break. Now, you're the expert on Chinese medicine, but it's kind of like the yin and the yang. There has to be a balance between the two. You can't be too yin and you can't be too yang. You need the balance back and forth. You need mTOR and you need autophagy. If someone Googles autophagy Nobel Prize, they'll see 2016, the Nobel Prize in medicine was given to a Japanese researcher on his work on autophagy. So then what we started studying is, how is this balanced up? And surprisingly, as we started researching what stimulates mTOR, we were kind of stunned. Because what we found is that mTOR is stimulated by things like growth hormone. So you all know, what are we doing with some of our animals? We give them growth hormone. Well, why do we do that? Well, they'll get fatter faster and then some amino acids will stimulate mtor so that's why for some people going easy on dairy can be helpful because it stimulates the mtor now the other thing that stimulates mtor is insulin and we all know we're getting more sugar in a week than our ancestors did in a whole year and that's why we're seeing so many blood sugar issues because we're getting so much sugar the high fructose corn syrup just One can of soda, sometimes 12 teaspoons of sugar. That's absolutely outrageous. Now, here's one that's controversial. And uh, I was just at a Lyme conference with Dr. Klinghart where Dr. McCullough spoke. His whole talk was on what he thinks is a very serious danger with electromagnetic fields. Mm. Dr. McCullough said that he believes EMF, or the electromagnetic fields of today, is this century's equivalent of cigarettes, but worse and that the uh, EMF that's just penetrating us all the time is having an inflammatory response. Now, what's interesting, this can disrupt what's called the calcium channels. And what we found is that those who have genetic weakness in what are called the CACNA1C genes, they are going to have more sensitivity to EMF. And I'm sure some people listening to this say, you know, I know people think I'm crazy, but I can't be around a lot of EMF. Many times these individuals have trouble with these genes that causes them to be more sensitive. But studies have shown this EMF, if it stimulates inflammation, will stimulate mTOR. Then, as we said earlier, iron. You know, we gotta have iron. If we don't have iron, we're in trouble. And and I know you've had Morley Robbins on here, and uh, what a great guest he was. But he's very clearly explained that excess iron can just bang around inside the cells. And make all kinds of inflammation. And particularly when we found the HFE genes and genes related to ferroportin, that can cause this iron to make inflammation. So, what's ferroportin? Ferroportin is the enzyme that's the only enzyme that takes iron out of the cell. Okay. So, in our genetic studies, we found that those who had the genes that would cause them to overabsorb iron and then get it stuck inside the cell are the ones that are really struggling with a lot of inflammation. They can't seem to get it under control. And then there's another one called HMOX that recycles and uh, others that will disrupt your iron. But the more the iron is disrupted, the more potential there is for these nasty hydroxyl radicals to just chew you up and spit you out. They're just nasty son of a guns that cause uh, toxic conditions inside the body stresses the entire body when the free radicals exceed your antioxidant capacity. Then we all know about MTHFR, and that's a very important gene. It's responsible for folic acid to methylfolate. Everything everyone's heard about methylfolate is absolutely correct. However, as we all know, when you're pregnant, you need to take methylfolate. Why? Because it stimulates mTOR to stimulate growth. So when you're pregnant, you better make sure you have enough folic acid or folate or methylfolate, depending upon your genetics. But if that's not the case, and your mTOR is already overactive, there's the potential. And I always use that word potential because genetics is never a diagnosis. It's a potential. But a potential that that folate could actually drive mTOR. And that's why so many people with a well-meaning practitioner says, oh, you've got MTHFR. Here, let me give you some methylfolate. They can feel great for a week to 10 days, followed by crash because they've stimulated inflammation. They've stimulated uh, glutamate. I've talked to hundreds, if not a thousand people who've been put on too much folate too soon, and it really did more harm than good. And then just inflammation in general. So what have we done? We have created an environment that didn't exist 50 to 75 years ago, that is just stimulating mTOR. And one of the things that we're studying is how are these environmental factors that we just didn't have 50 to 75 years ago, hitting those that are genetically weakest, the hardest, the proverbial canary in the mind, and causing this mTOR stimulation and weakened autophagy. And I continue to see that. And I presented this then in as a poster presentation and as a lecture at ILADS, the International Lyme Disease Association, in Boston in uh, November of 17. Now I thought to myself, "Self, I think you've arrived. You figured it out." Well, of course we didn't. There's more. (laughs) <laughs> every time you think, you know, every step of the way, it's like, oh, cool, iron. Okay, this is the issue. Oh, what? But there's
1: glutamate. Yes, you know. And oh, it, it, but it, there's it, weakness of nerve too. Yeah, right. It's we we want to think of it as as linear, but it's it's really a web, and uh, you're identifying these different nodes in the web.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite sayings is like a 3D chess game played underwater. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes the chess pieces float. so one of the things we started noticing is that a lot of people also had allergic reactions you know spring and fall allergies uh and of course we all know that uh mold is becoming a very serious problem now one of the things that uh, i was always curious about is that you know mold is not new you know we've had moldy homes Moldy situations for a long time. And anyone who's a clinician recognizes that the amount of people that are having mold sensitivity is growing dramatically. So, being the curious mind, it's like, well, why is that happening? Well, autophagy is what cleans the mold as well as the old dead cells and viruses. So, if we are epigenetically from our environment, from all the things that we're exposed to that we weren't exposed to before, is jacking up our mTOR and we, in you know, our autophagy, we're going to have less ability to clean. And I think that's why there's a lot of discussion about, you know, heavy metals, mold sensitivity. I mean, I talk to people that cannot find a home to live in. Wow, well, that they live in a tent or a car. It's not that they're homeless. They can't find a home that has doesn't have the least amount of mold, and that least amount of mold... Pushes them over the edge because they can't clear it. So, being the curious people we are, we said, "Well, this seems to be creating a histamine response." Now, I know people are familiar with histamine because if you have spring and fall allergies, you know you get the runny nose, the itchy eyes. Um, if you uh, get a mosquito bite and uh, you get that uh, that swelling, that can be related to to histamine. Now, again, histamine is not Bad, it plays an important role, but too much histamine can be a problem. So we started digging a little bit, and uh, as we record this, we're uh, we're about a month and a half away from the ILADS conference that's going to be held in uh, in Warsaw, Poland. So we decided let's take a look at what's happening with histamine now. There's a couple of ways that you can have too much histamine. Okay. Now the uh, there are foods that are high in histamine. Anything that's fermented, uh, anything that's aged. Uh, for example, wine high in histamine, vinegar high in histamine, leftovers that are just in the refrigerator for too long, some nuts, some seafoods, and there's some foods that are you know moderate some that are very high in histamine. And here again, we have to be careful that when somebody starts saying, you know, this is good for everybody. So some people say, oh, do some kombucha and do some miso and do some sauerkraut because it's good for the gut. Well, it is if you can break it down. And there's a little enzyme called DAO, dynamine oxidase, that breaks down histamine. And there are some individuals that have, as you guessed, Genetic issues that they don't make enough DAO. And for these individuals, histamine foods are the worst things to use. And one of the favorites that people recommend is bone broth. Well, bone broth is very high in histamine. So bone broth might be excellent for some people, but it may actually make others unknowingly worse. So we've got to move towards personalized care. When anybody ever says, fill in the blank, Is good for everything, get very scared. (laughs) Right. Because there's very few things that are the solution for every
1: problem. Now, didn't a while back we were also talking about these foods, the fermented foods, particularly in terms of glutamate? Oh, yes. Some, like, uh, yeah, of
2: course. The bone broth. Like bone broth is very high in glutamate as well. Okay. So that's another stimulant of this whole pathway. Sure. Sure. So if your glutamate's okay, and you make all the enzymes that you need to break down histamine, bone broth might be the absolute perfect food for you. But if you're high in glutamate and you have trouble breaking down fermented foods, well, this may not be so good for you and may actually make things worse. And, um, you know, interestingly, I have seen so many times that I've been able to help people the most in my, you know, health coaching, and that is, uh, let's get off that bone broth. Hmm. And uh, absolutely uh, fascinating how uh, the, uh, the, the bone broth can be helpful or harmful. Well, anyway, what this does, uh, this then can make your histamine levels go higher. Now, there's a gene called HNMT, histamine and methyltransferase, that has to break down histamine. And, of course, you guessed it, you can have genetic variants there that you don't do it. Now, what we're going to be presenting in Poland is there's a process called acetylation. And acetylation is a process where we take a molecule called acetyl-CoA through an enzyme called N-acetyltransferase. And that N-acetyltransferase takes that acetyl-CoA to turn one thing into another. And guess what one of the things are that it works on? histamine. But also serotonin because serotonin can be too low or too high. And one of the easiest ways to know if you have trouble with acetylation is if cigarette smoke and or exhaust fumes makes it very difficult for you. If you just can't stand the smell of cigarettes, it makes you nauseous or sick or gives you a headache, or if exhaust fumes do. So if anyone's listening, and of course there's multiple factors, so we can't, you know, make a blanket statement. That if cigarettes make you sick, you have an acetylation problem. But there's the potential that that's the case. So, what we found in our study is that those with chronic Lyme that we identified in our study, we had 359 people with chronic Lyme, we compared their genome to what's called the 1000 Genome Project. Now, there's an important gene called PANK, P A N K. And I'm going to make a prediction, and I'm going out on a limb here but I think the PANC genes are as important or possibly more important than MTHFR. Now, I know that's a pretty strong statement, but let me explain why. Panathenic acid has to be turned into pantothene, the active form, just like folic acid needs to be turned into methylfolate. As you start studying what panathene does, it's pretty incredible. It stands at the top of what's called the steroidal pathway, And this is where we take cholesterol and turn it into DHEA and pregnenolone, which begins the process of making your cortisol and all your hormones. So if you don't have enough panathene, your cholesterol may be high because you're not turning it into your cortisol and your hormones. That's a pretty big deal, McKay. And I've seen people have their cholesterol come down by taking panathene not panathenic acid, pantothene. Again, the PANC genes are involved in the panathenic acid to pantothene conversion. So when people have genetic issues with their PANK genes, well, they may not be converting that panathenic acid to pantothene. So not only do they have the higher cholesterol, but they're not making the DHEA, the pregnenolone, so they could have hormonal issues, and they also could have adrenal issues not making enough cortisol, which is anti-inflammatory. But there's more to pantothene. As you all know, we have these little engines inside the body called the mitochondria. The mighty mitochondria, as they're sometimes called. (laughs) And this is where we take our fats, our carbohydrates, and our proteins, and we turn it into something called acetyl-CoA. Now, for those of you who, you know, remember studying the Krebs cycle, and you know, I, I know I tease when I when I train doctors, I'll say I know you memorized this for the test and then you forgot it a couple of days later. But in the Krebs cycle, the the proteins and the carbohydrates need pantothene to make acetyl-CoA. And if that's not happening, you're not going to get that acetyl-CoA. Now, that's going to make you tired because you're not going to make what's called ATP in the cells, but also you're not going to have that acetyl-CoA to break down your histamine Uh. and your tobacco smoke. Now, there's another little interesting gene called ACAT, stands for acetyl-CoA transferase. And it again takes those carbohydrates and proteins and turns them into acetyl-CoA. Well, guess what we found in our Lyme study? Those with chronic Lyme had significantly more genetic variants in the ACAT genes. So they weren't as capable of making that acetyl CoA. They also had more genetic variants in the pant genes. So they don't have the pantothene and some of them don't have the ACAT genes working properly. So you're not going to make that acetyl CoA. So you're going to be low in energy. That's why there's fatigue. But then you also don't uh, take that acetyl-CoA to break down histamine and other poisons. And then we study the NAT genes, the N-acetyltransferase. And I'm sure most people are thinking by now, okay, don't tell me. Yes, there's more genetic variants in the NAT genes than those with chronic Lyme. Now, I doubt that people are going to have all of them, but any one of those along the path ACAT gene variants, NAT variants, PANC variants means that you're not going to acetylate very effectively. And consequently, you're not going to be able to uh, clear
1: that histamine. So, can I interrupt here for one second? Do, sure, go right ahead. Do you, do you find people who are taking statins, does this interfere with this process? Cause you're also, so if you if you don't have enough panathene and, and your cholesterol goes up, and then you're not making all the, the, on the sex hormone side of things and the cortisol side of things. But then if you're also taking uh, a statin, you can bring the cholesterol down, but that doesn't help this pathway. You've just blocked the creation of cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any correlation
2: there in, in your people? Well, first, McKay, let me say that's a brilliant observation on your part. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it makes total clinical sense. So hats off to you for connecting those dots. And I didn't even think of that, but I mean, that's, that's brilliant that, you know, as we know, the, the statins just block the uh, process of making cholesterol and the net result is less. And I'm purely speculating here, but if you have less cholesterol to work with, I mean, you obviously make some panathene, maybe not enough. Could that possibly make uh, even less? You know, in other words, the people who have the pank genes on top of that. Could that make even uh, less DHEA in pregnant alone? It make clinical sense, but I haven't seen any papers on it. But that that makes total sense.
1: Okay, didn't mean to ambush you there. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. All right. So, back back where we were before I interrupted. Sure. Now that was a,
2: that was a good clinical pearl. Thank you for that. Uh, you always come up with some good stuff. And, and uh, just as a side note, uh, uh, for the people listening, uh, I, I often check my email, and there's a. Incredible clinical pearl from uh, McKay. He's on uh, He's on top of things, so make sure you listen to all of his podcasts because he's got some good, good stuff. So, bottom line, if we have not enough pantothene and we've got ACAD variants, we're not going to make that acetyl-CoA. Then if you have weakness in n transferase yet, then you're going to have uh, the histamine running amok. And that's why, you know, many people have the runny nose, the itchy skin, hives, Uh, you know. And one of the easiest ways to know if you have too much histamine is just take your fingernail, scratch your arm pretty hard. And if you've got this red
1: line that comes up and stays there for a
2: while, there's a good chance that you've got
1: overactive histamine. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So how I'm scratching my arm now. How long does it take for the red to show up? Well, sometimes it turns red right away. Okay.
2: For some people, it turns white and then turns red.
1: Yeah, I've got some white
2: now. So, mm-hmm. And then see if that turns red. Okay. And uh, and particularly if it's a raised red. I mean, some people are so sensitive, they can take their fingernail and write their name on their own. Wow. Uh, I was at a conference where I talked to someone who was actually a medical doctor, and, and and she said, yeah, if I do that, it'll be there tomorrow yet.
1: So they're not clearing any of that
2: histamine. They're not. They're, they're, well, they're well not only that but we're we're gonna get into uh to mast cells so what I'm going to be presenting in uh Poland is that there's acetylation weakness in those with uh with chronic Lyme that leads to higher levels of histamine now again I thought this is pretty cool we've maybe found everything well of course not <laughs> <laughs> but wait there's more there's more yeah does this sound like some commercial on at uh, midnight or something. A Steve, well, jo- either that or a Steve Jobs presentation. Well, there you go. There's <laughs> more. So um, now our bodies are pretty incredible, as we all know. I mean, what a what a fascinating creature we are with all these backup mechanisms and way of protecting ourselves. So, going to go down another path here. If you have a home at home project and you're hammering and you accidentally hit your thumb with a hammer, we all know what happens. It swells. And actually, that's a good thing, okay, because that swelling allows the blood flow to get there and other things to start the healing process. So, we interestingly, we have these little white blood cells called mast cells. And when they notice there is inflammation from tissue damage, they do what's called degranulate, and they start spewing out histamine. And then other inflammatory agents like tumor necrosis factor, interleukins, that create this inflammatory response. And again, when you have tissue damage, that's good. And also, these mast cells serve a purpose in killing bacteria and virus. They're not bad. But just like anything else, the right amount is good. Excess becomes
1: a problem. Yeah, we're back to the yin yang. The other interesting thing I learned from a a young med student, is that mast cells can recruit each other. So not Mm -hmm. only can they get activated, but then they call other mast cells to the area. So you can get this uh, exponential growth in histamine and other inflammatory release going on. And probably that's Mm -hmm. what's going on with the people who can write their name in their arm, Mm -hmm. that the mast cells come running every time there's Mm -hmm. a little perturbation. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Now, what's interesting is that although these mast cells are helpful, in excess, they can really create havoc. Yeah. And what is now being talked about a lot in a lot of the Lyme groups is many people that are studying are, uh, suffering with chronic Lyme is they have what's called mast cell activation, that it's overactive. So one of the things we're doing now at the Neutrogenetic Research Institute is looking at... What are some of the factors that could cause this to be overactive? Well, clearly, the first one is inflammation. And what did we find in all of our previous studies? Although I won't go through the whole list, but all of those things are inflammatory, increasing mTOR, weakening autophagy, creating inflammation. And then your mast cells, they're not misbehaving, they're just doing what they do. They say, oh, there's inflammation, let me put some mast cells in here. That makes more histamine, that makes more inflammation, and we have this massive inflammation. Now, when I do my consulting, I'm looking at new people in a new way, yeah. and I'm surprised how many people come in, their faces are beet red. And I say to them, how do you deal with heat or cold? It's like, oh my gosh, I can't handle the heat. I get so tired and so fatigued if I get hot, or I get so fatigued and so higher tired if I get cold. Interestingly, these mast cells, and I don't know that I fully understand the mechanism yet, but are responsible for POTS. And that's where, you know, if you stand up too quickly, the blood pressure plummets, your heartbeat goes up, and you can either get dizzy or pass out. So I'm still trying to figure out what the mechanism is of how the mast cells do it. I have some theories that it's affecting the hypothalamus, the pituitary, but nothing in the literature that suggests that. Now, these mast cells, uh, you know, also can, uh, can cause inflammation anywhere in the body and make you very susceptible to hives. So these people are itchy and they've got red skin. What's also fascinating is that it can cause you to actually spew out more nitric oxide, which drops your blood pressure. So sometimes these people have low blood pressure. And interestingly, it can vasoconstrict the bronchial tubes. So you're wheezing or out of breath air hunger so i mean clearly there's multiple reasons for air hunger and you can't always assume it's mast cells but excessive mast cells can cause vasoconstriction of the bronchial tubes leading to that air hunger where you've got to you know take that other breath and you just can't seem to get your breath properly and again we can't use this as a diagnostic tool and saying that's it but if you're suspecting mast cells and your heart's okay, and your lungs are okay, yeah. there's, again, the potential that it's there. And mast cells are involved in um, in asthma and anything that causes constriction. And uh, as of this recording, we're, we're planning our uh, our live class to be held in Florida, and my research staff has been going through the literature, and, and we have about 200 slides on all the things that are related to mast cells. So- can, can and it's pretty you, astonishing.
1: It, it, it is. And I, I got confused there for a second. Because you talked about the nitric oxide and the dilation that it can cause, the endothelial nit- nitric oxide and the vasodilation that it causes. And then kind of we went right away into the mast cells causing constriction. And is that is that specific to the bronchial, to the airways? Or can that constriction happen in other places too? Because I have some people who have unexpected like I, I, I was making my deposit at the at the local credit union, and the seventeen year old girl says, uh, "You do acupuncture?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, you know, I've I've got this hypertension, and the, here's this young, healthy seventeen year old, and she says nobody understands what's going on." And I said, "Well, here's here's my number. Give me a call, and let's let's see if we can figure something out." But that that becomes really interesting if if it's more. If it can help constrict the blood vessels as well, that would explain some of these some of these strange things. So maybe it's not nervous system, maybe it's not hormonal, maybe it's it's inflammation at a at a at a funny level there. So anyway, so I'm asking you: is did I misunderstand there? Or no, you didn't. And that's one of the conundrums I'm currently at. Uh,
2: now, as you know, there's there's three different types of uh, nitric oxides, mm-hmm. and uh, Enos, inos, enos, and, and really, I I don't have this down yet. So, as you know, you know, some of the, uh, the nitric oxides actually are vasodilative. Okay. Which is then going to cause, uh, your blood pressure to go down. Lack of it would cause vasoconstriction. Now, this is where it gets really complex. And I don't claim to have this down yet because some nitric oxide tamps down or controls the uh, the mast cells. So despite the fact that some nitric oxides are given off, and again I don't have this down, you know, maybe the nitric oxide's given off, it's the oxidative stress nitric oxides. Whereas the the good nitric oxide that dilates your blood vessels, you know, might be protective, and I'm purely theory here. This is, you know, this in three bucks will get you a cup of coffee. So <laughs> Bob Miller opinion. But I am speculating, I wonder if we're using up some of our good nitric oxide to try to suppress the mast cells. Again, well, not saying that happens, just throwing that out as a maybe.
1: There is when you get into the nitric oxide literature and it's a it's a favorite of mine, and I haven't figured this one out, and I don't think the researchers have either, you start getting conflicting information. You do. And there are a group of researchers are saying, yes, nitric oxide is the most important thing and you need more of it. And there are other researchers saying, whoa, 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 nitric oxide is involved with, and they don't say this, but it sounds like a lot of the processes you're talking about are these mast cell activation where this, it's this inflammation run amok. And for certain, there are different level. The, the only paper I saw, and I'll forward this to you if I can dig it out of my archives. It, it, one paper was talking about the different levels of nitric oxide present, so that there is a, a physiological basal level of nitric oxide. And that gets overrun when our immune system gets kicked in. So the INOS, the inducible nitric oxide, all of a sudden floods the field and creates all these uh, inflammatory cascades. But then it's supposed to be downregulated once again. And Bob, what's fascinating about nitric oxide is it it ends up being involved in circadian things like sleep. It's involved with psychiatric issues. It's involved with digestion. There's nowhere you can't turn where the nitric oxide molecule isn't involved. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're th- this is going to be one of your new nodes. You can say, well, all of a sudden now we're going to have to really go back and look at nitric oxide again. Uh, and I'll see what I can send you on that. It's, oh, it's please. fascinating. Oh, it is. And you know,
2: Some people say, again, that nitric oxide is the best thing you can have. And, of course, we all know that that's the whole premise of Viagra and Cialis. Yes. You know, men need nitric oxide to have an erection. Those drugs block the breaking down of it, so there's more left over. So, clearly, some forms of nitric oxide have positive effects on cardiovascular. Uh, Now, some people are saying that it's not nitric oxide's fault, that if, uh, if we have too much superoxide, it's what combines yes. with the nitric oxide to make peroxynitrite. So some people say nitric oxide is the problem. Other people say they're getting a bum rap, that it's it's being turned into peroxynitrite, and that's the problem.
1: So can you, and since so you're so good at explaining this stuff, will you pause there and just uh, help people with what is uh, the superoxide? Where does it come from? Sure. Yeah, very simply, when we get a free radical
2: that we can get from our environment, cigarette smoke, pollutants, or even our own cells. Inside the mitochondria, you know, it's not a 100% working machine. Sometimes we get a free radical even as we're creating energy. That can combine with oxygen to make a superoxide free radical. Now, we make something called superoxide dismutase, or SOD. SOD takes that superoxide free radical, turns it into hydrogen peroxide. If that doesn't happen, that superoxide will combine with your nitric oxide, and make that very nasty free radical called peroxynitrite. The chemical sim- symbol is oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> ONOO. Yes. Okay. And it is one nasty son of a gun. It's called NOS uncoupling. Okay. So when that happens, you know, when when we don't use L-arginine to make nitric oxide we make superoxide instead and then it's another mechanism that we can make more peroxynitrite. So again it goes back to you'll find those people who you know think you know nitric oxide is the thing we need and others who say no no wait a minute and it can be inflammatory and and I think this is, again is going to be one of these yin and yangs sometimes it's helpful sometimes it's harmful. But even when it's oxidative it's used to kill pathogens. Exactly. So uh, there's you know, this there, argument of you know, antioxidants and oxidants, and people are arguing on either side, and the bottom line is they're both right. We need free radicals to kill you know, virus, bacteria, possibly even cancer cells, and if we didn't have it, you know, we'd, we wouldn't have protection. You but know, if, the anti- if, if the free radicals are running amok, they start to damage us. So it's that proverbial uh, bell curve, not too little, not too much.
1: I heard Dr. Neil Spector speak at the Midcoast, Maine Lyme conference, and he's written the book Gone in a Heartbeat. He's the cancer researcher down at Duke that got Lyme disease and then had to have the heart transplant. And he, you know, he's much more, he's he's come around, he's much more systems-based thinking physician and researcher. And he's talking about, no, 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 you can't just stop inflammation because that's what triggers the healing process. He says, when I, when I hear inflammation, I'm thinking that healing's going on. And I, I think what we need to make clear here and what you're pointing to is inflammation is critical in this yin and yang process. But every once in a while, and Chinese medicine talks about this too, that the yin doesn't transform into the yang and the yang doesn't transform into, into the yin. So they, they essentially becomes a runaway train and, and the cycle isn't no longer supportive of each other and goes off in one direction or the other. And that's where we get these deeply, deeply sick people who just can't catch a break. And I I have a patient and she's also a friend who got to the point where her gut was so inflamed, she, she couldn't eat anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and there at, at this point, there was nothing more I could do for her. She's tried to track down uh mass cell experts to begin to get this, to calm down. And it it's a battle. It's like, she, It wasn't really, people were thinking, oh, you've got a psychological issue. You know, you're you're really just a a closeted anorexic. But she wasn't at all. She just, every time she ate, she got deathly ill. It was just
2: awful. Mm -hmm. Well, think about what happens when you eat, you stimulate mTOR. And if you're right on that edge, you know, you're going to create more inflammation. And mast cells go after the gut. Uh, You know, I'm absolutely convinced the reason I almost died at the age of 31 with ulcerative colitis was I probably had mast cells chewing up my colon? I was in the hospital for 21 days. Remember, I lost half my blood and then I hemorrhaged. Um, I didn't know if I'd see the morning. Now that I look back at that, now I'm 63. Now my colon's doing just fine. Now that I look back and look at my genetics, it's like I was creating mast cells. You know, and now I understood if I tried to mow the lawn on a hot day, you know, I'd get beat red. And I'm thinking, now I'm not that bad out of a shape. But I'd be wiped out for the rest of the day Uh, because I just activated all these mast cells that made me tired when I got in a hot day mowing the lawn. And interestingly, some people who have severe mast cells just exercise wears them out because we know that that exercise can be slightly inflammatory and they can not exercise. And I had one client who had to do work in a shop on a concrete floor. And just standing on a concrete floor, his feet would turn on fire from the mast cells activating.
1: Wow. You know, that brings to mind, so this is something that ha- that happens to me from time to time. If I get, eat, <laughs> carry out Chinese food, it will put me to sleep literally in about 30 to 45 minutes afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to this inflammation and, and the lack of the acetyl-CoA, right, to break sure. it down. And the mm-hmm. pantothene. Very well, sure. Interesting. Yeah,
2: I mean, the Chinese food has monosodium glutamate. Yeah, exactly. What does that do? That jacks up your glutamate. What does that do? That makes inflammation. What's the potential of that? The mast cells saying, uh-oh, inflammation, come to the rescue. Now, what's also interesting is that mold, virus, bacteria, stimulate mast cells as well. And so does estrogen. Now, let's talk about water.
1: <laughs> I was wondering where you're going to bring this up. Perfect. Ninety
2: yeah. percent of America's water, eighty-three percent of the world's water, now has little plastic fibers in it from all the plastic we're using, including the polyester clothing. So, as we wash our polyester clothing, little tiny particles of of uh, plastic are given off, and just you know. Read the articles. Google, you know, plastic in our water, microplastic fibers in our water. Now, many of the people listening to this will know that these plastics are what are called xenoestrogens. That means when they're inside the body, the body thinks it's an estrogen. So we have these little cell receptor sites, and these plastic fibers get to the cell, and the cell says, okay, Mr. Estrogen or Mrs. Estrogen, whichever you are, come on in. Okay. Now, I'm 63 years old. When I was 12, all the girls I went to school with still looked like little girls. And everybody knows what's happening
1: today. And it's not just the makeup.
2: It's not just the makeup. No. And then I was, I remember I was at a conference and I spoke to a doctor who uh, had lunch with him, who all he does is hormone work. And he said, Bob, I'm noticing the strangest thing. He said, I'm now seeing testosterone levels in 18 to 22 year olds as low as what we used to see in 60 year old men wow and of course if you start looking at some young boys 12 to 14 they're starting to get some breast development uh you know the, the breast tissue is swelling slightly because of all the estrogen and fascinating today i had a, a, a young lady client beautiful young lady 21 years old and we were talking about this and she said you know uh I'm, uh, you know, she said I might be a little early, but I'm starting to look for a man that I'd like to marry and have a, a family with. And she said I look around and I'm not seeing anything that looks too interesting. I'm I'm looking for a man who's strong, not just physically strong, but being protective and you know being strong and, and a leader. And she said I talked to my other girlfriends about this and we're all saying the same thing that you know these guys are kind of wimpy, you know, and so I think this estrogen, the xenoestrogen, is having a impact on men and women and a final note on that here in pennsylvania in the chesapeake bay fishermen are finding male fish that are developing ovaries so something is happening and this estrogen drives mast cells and also drives mTOR so again another epigenetic factor that we weren't exposed to and i just saw a report that in the ocean now some of the fish even have plastic fibers in them from all the plastic that's being dumped in the ocean. And one report came out that said, by weight, there's more plastic in the ocean than now fish. And uh, we're, and I'm no sky is falling, chicken little, oh, you know, the world's coming apart. But we have to be scientists and, and study it. And uh, we're doing some things that's uh, pretty darn harmful. Uh, One of the things that we're researching, I know this is about Lyme disease, but Dr. Theodorus did research with some universities, and he believes there's a relationship with mast cells stimulating the hypothalamus, contributing to all the ADD, ADHD, and and, uh, autism. So again, that's just a theory, but it kind of feels right to me that neural inflammation is behind all of this, and put that aside, I think we can all agree, people are acting a little bit crazy. Just turn on the news. And I don't care if you're on the left or the right or in the middle. I don't think we've ever seen such anger and frustration and calling each other names. We don't we don't talk policy anymore. We just condemn and criticize everybody and call them nasty names and hope bad things happen to them. But this, and, is,
1: go, I'm sorry, to interrupt. No, go ahead. No, go right ahead. So this is, there's just an article that came out today in the New York Times, and it was showing that the more educated you are, the more fixed you were in your political beliefs. Oh, so, interesting. So you talk about the high glutamate and the high intelligence and stimulating all this inflammation and uh, neural inflammation like this. And I'm thinking, huh, maybe there's, maybe there's a physiological re- reason for this too. Maybe it's not simply just getting educated. Maybe it's that there is, a, the brains are different, like you say, than they were. 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. That's sure. fascinating.
2: Yeah. When I talk to uh, school teachers who've been doing this for more than 10 years, I'll say, how are the kids today versus 10 years ago? Everyone I've talked to says, Oh my gosh, they're more anxious. They're, they're more frustrated. They're harder to control. And, uh, they're more of them are dealing with anxiety and yeah. depression. Yeah. I talked to college professors who've been doing this a while. Tell me about the freshmen. Oh my gosh. You know, they're anxious, they're depressed. I uh, One of my, my clients uh, goes to, uh, to Penn State, and I said, just curious, you know, how many students do you know that are anxious, depressed, and on medication? He said, and he was serious, he said, well, why don't I tell you how many I know that are not? And I was like, wow. So there, there's something going on, and I don't make the claim that mast cells is the only issue, but I think it would not be a stretch. That this overactivation of the mast cell is an issue in many of the mental health issues we're seeing today.
1: At one of the local colleges here, they know that I think 23-24% of the students are on a prescription anti-anxiety depressive type of SR, SSRI uh, type inhibitor uh, mm-hmm. to help them with that. And so those are the ones they know about. There's probably another handful of percentage and that's a remarkable number. These are supposedly young, healthy people, right? And right. again, you go back a few years ago, even in, like you said, 10 years ago, that number would be down in the single digit. So now to have more than 20% on a campus is is mind boggling.
0: And I don't yes, think it it's true.
1: just over over uh, prescribing. I think these, these young people really are struggling. They sure are. And I don't have a list of which drugs,
2: but there are some of these psychiatric drugs that deplete the DAO
1: enzyme, which breaks down your histamine. So, uh, well, that's not good. That's interesting because uh, many of the neurotransmitters are also monoamines and you would think it's probably some reaction to having less of them around or something. I don't know. Fascinating. So it interferes Mm -hmm. with that whole pathway. You know, that's, so that was the other thing that, that's come up within the past month. There's a, a lot of excitement, new cancer drug that was coming out that's going to interfere with one of these pathways and, and block off cancer's ability to downregulate the immune system. And that, that way, the immune system would be fully turned on. And when the cancer cell showed up, the body could go after the cancer. And they did this in a small pilot study and was really quite amazingly successful when it did work. And then they brought this out to a larger group and started to double-blind it. And all of a sudden, the results they were seeing in these small trials weren't there. And it, it goes back to, you know, what you were saying. It's, oh, and then we found one more thing. And then we found one more thing. And then we found, this is so interrelated. And in what you say about things being a tendency, not a direct correlation or direct causation is, is so important. And, you know, that's where you get into lifestyle and your genetics and they interact and your gut biome and the DNA down there. It it's so complex. we unfortunately we are at N equals one experiment at this point. Absolutely. In time. Absolutely.
2: But I think this mast cell activation may explain why some people with chronic Lyme can't seem to dig their way out of it. Exactly. Because they're inflamed, they're using up all their antioxidants. Some well meaning physician tries to do treatment and they hurt, and they can't do it. And I think this may be a plausible mechanism. And I say may, you know, we're still in the early phases of research. But this may be a reason why some people just cannot have adequate treatment because they're just inflamed, and more than likely, even some of the treatment may create enough of a response to activate mast cells, uh, particularly if they if they degrade uh, some DAO, which breaks down the, the histamine, and this may explain why some of the anxiety—you know—many of the people who have chronic Lyme uh, are very anxious. Right, glutamate plays a role, and but. I wouldn't be surprised that mass cell activation is a piece of this equation.
1: The last thing is you work with a company of uh, professional health products and they have or either coming out with or have a homeopathic remedy to help clear the plastics. Can you tell me about that? Oh yes. Uh we we just
2: formulated something called plastic detox number two. And it has homeopathic remedies of the plastics. And in case anybody's not familiar with that, uh the, the premise of homeopathy is like, cures like, and I know it's controversial. I mean there's people that swear by it and others say it's complete quackery and can't do anything and Needless to say, it's been used for hundreds of years. Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia was a homeopathic hospital. And you just take a a substance, you take one part of that with 10 parts inert, you shake that up, you take one part of that, 10 parts inert, shake it up, and you do that anywhere from six to a million times. And interestingly, the more diluted it is, the more powerful it is in its action, because in homeopathy, like cures, like so when you take homeopathic some of these plastics, the theory is that'll it push it out. Same way they also have one called Adex that has uh, homeopathic glyphosate, which we didn't even talk about. But the pesticides, you know, can increase the inflammation by possibly uh, impeding your body's ability to use glycine properly and may push up your uh, your glutamate. So uh, PHP is very excited about that. That that may be a mechanism along with supporting autophagy and other detox mechanisms to possibly get some of this, uh, this plastics out of us. And uh, we, we've got to figure out ways to possibly filter our water better. And I've yet to see any literature that tells me there's a water filter that will do it. Uh, I'm not aware of any. Maybe, maybe there is, but I'm keeping my eyes open for that. And then we also have to look out for mold as well, uh, make sure that the, the mold is cleared from our house. I've heard many experts say that if you don't get mold out of your house, uh, you're never going to get well. Because, again, it's stimulating the mast cell activation. Now we know why the, uh, the mold can be
1: a problem. Bob, once again, you've been incredibly generous with your time and knowledge and experience. Thank you very much. And I'd like to give you the last word uh, for people to get in touch with you and your clinic or any of the projects you're working on that you want to let folks know about?
2: Sure. Let me just talk about one more thing we're working on. It's under development, but we're making a product called MC Balancer that interestingly has in Boswellia, which is frankincense. And interestingly, frankincense seems to have some mass cell stabilizing properties, also has some luteolin, some shen, some L-theanine, and quercetin, which may tamp down that mast cell. Now, that is not the final solution. You've got to figure out why the mast cells are being activated. But to calm them down, I'm having some very good success with uh, Boswellia. The botanical name is, uh, or Boswellia is the botanical name for frankincense. Uh, so stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with us, uh, my, my clinic is Tree of Life Health website. T-O-L for Tree of Life, and then the word health dot com. tol H-E-A-L-T-H.com, T-O-L-Health.com. Our phone number is 717-733-2003. If someone's a health practitioner and they'd like to uh, learn how they can uh, use a customized uh, genetic test, I just created a, my own genetic test called uh, Your Genomic Resource that... Uh, we, we did that because previous uh, sources of genetic information were changed that they didn't have what we needed. So if you're a health professional and you have a practice, uh, you can go to dnasupplementation.com, and there you'll see how you can get a subscription to my online software that analyzes the data, how you can order kits for your patients or clients. And then to learn all this, I created a 30-plus-hour uh, online certification course that teaches you all of these processes of glutamate and iron, and then also on the site you'll see where we're having some live classes as well. If you listen to this before uh, November of uh, eighteen, we're going to be in Hershey, Pennsylvania, November uh, nine to eleven. Again, this is health professionals only, and the first seventy-five who uh, who get there. So, sadly, this is not open to the public, but only available to health professionals. Where a large part of the discussion will be on uh, mast cell activation, but not just tamping that down, figuring out all of the upstream things that do it. So if I'd have to sum it up, we have to look at all the upstream and downstream things that cause this inflammatory cascade. So someone can have the terrain they need to be able to keep pathogens away, allow the immune system to heal, or allow your body to successfully be be treated and mckay you are an excellent interviewer uh you uh you do a great job you know how to get all the information succinctly so it is always my pleasure uh to be here and value you as a uh, as a person on the advisory board for the nutrigenic research institute uh of all the advisory board members you're the one that keeps coming through all the time with uh, clinical pearls so let me publicly thank you for your valuable contribution as well
1: you're very very welcome and i i've I don't know how I skipped over it. <laughs> after you, you, you built me up there. We, we didn't talk about the new test at all. And that, that deserves a show unto itself, uh, because it'll be real interesting to see the new information that's coming out. I know that the new chip you develop goes after, what did you say, 200,000 snips? 200,000 snips, Two, yes. And so there's going to be a flood of data. It's going to take a while for us to sort it out and really kind of get our hands around it. But once we do, in a couple of months, uh, it's, I'm sure you're going to find all kinds of new exciting stuff. So we'll have to have you back to talk about this test and to get people knowledgeable about what's out there and help guide their supplementation. Because if sure. you're spending two, $300 a month on supplements, it makes sense that you know where to target them.
2: Absolutely. And I've often said sometimes I think I help people the most in my health coaching, taking people off of things that they thought was helping.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult to sort out. It's not an easy it's not an easy thing. And this tool that you've developed is, is a big piece of making sense of this very, very complicated world we live in.
2: Absolutely. And I should mention the name of the software is we now change it to functional genomic analysis. So it's designed for the functional practitioner who uh, really wants to get in there and look at the pathways to create a customized program. We've got to get away from the one size fits all. Everyone's unique. So in theory, a doctor could see ten people with Lyme and from a functional standpoint have ten different approaches. And that's where we have to go. We can't you know, have cookie cutter. This is, you know, do this for that. We're going to look back on that as the as the dark ages
1: eventually. Not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right Bob thanks again and I'll be in touch very soon. All right and keep up the good work my friend. Thanks you do the same.
0: This was a really as always it was an excellent episode and I'm about to get really nerdy for a second. But when he kept talking about discovering different parts of the genetic variant that he said, oh, this explains everything. It reminded me of when I was in college and I was reading the Tao Te Ching, actually, the the way, the, the Taoist thing. And it says the way which can be spoken is not the true way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, that's very nerdy. Right? Right. <laughs>
0: but it kind of reminds me of how he's how he's speaking. It's like...
1: Wait, I understand it all. I know. Oops, wait, there's more.
0: Exactly. There's more. And there's never just one thing because... Because we- it's a web. Exactly.
1: The body is so interconnected and so complex, and I mean that in the technical term of complexity mathematics, that everything influences everything out. There are nodes that are more important than other nodes kind of intersections or highways or, and kind of that's really the whole idea behind acupuncture, that there are places and interventions you can make that are more significant at a particular time. And that's what you want to do. But there's no, there's no, you don't have the whole picture ever. Yeah. Ever.
0: Yep. Which kind of goes against everything Western medicine. Right.
1: Because what they're doing is they're isolating one single pathway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite exciting what the pathways can do. However, they're only looking at one specific piece. So you see the tree, but lose the forest. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really like what we're doing, consider becoming a patron. We fund this podcast with micro donations on Patreon.com. And we prefer this method over accepting advertisements or working for a big boss somewhere because it keeps our voice independent. No one owns us. And that is rare these days. In our own small way, we are making the world a better place, and your contributions help us stay inspired and motivated to do that. So just head on over to our new homepage, radio.com and look for the Patreon link. It's under the How Can We Help You section. At the, and there, once you're on Patreon, you can donate at the $1, $3, $10 level.
0: And if you donate at the $10 level, we will send you a copy of our top 10 transcripts, which is the concentrated wisdom of three years of podcast episodes featuring experts like Dr. Richard Horowitz, the real food rebel, Brenda Constantino, and of course, the genetic nutrition expert, Bob Miller.
1: And if you have any feedback for us, please send it to feedback at limeninja.radio.com. We read all the emails and we respond to as many as we can. The good, the bad, the ugly, we love to hear it all. It all helps us make a better podcast for you. Love us, hate us, just don't ignore us.
0: <laughs> True that. Also, if you don't know your Lime score yet, do yourself a favor and head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com. Scroll down and you'll see the big red button and fill out the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker
1: it's free. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day.
0: Did you know there wasn't a volcanic eruption in Hawaii? It was ninjas who opened up a barbecue joint.